Good morning. It is Palm Sunday. Welcome to Cedar Valley. My name's Gail. And I'm Michelle. <laughs> Sorry, distracted. That's, that's okay. To, uh, we're here to um, just welcome you and to start the service. Yeah, if this is your first time here, a very special welcome to you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you better, and you can help us um, by giving us a shout at hello at cedarvalley.ca, or if you're here on campus, um, you can find someone wearing a lanyard, or come to any one of us that have been up front. We'd be happy to meet you. We have a number of things going on next Easter weekend. On Friday, right here, we're going to have a communion service, a time of sharing and prayer and worship, and we'd love for you to join us, 10 o'clock on Friday. And then on Sunday early, Sunday at 7 a.m., there's a joint um, sunrise service at Heritage Park. So there too, love to see you down there. And back here at 9.30, we're gonna have baked goods and, and Pascha and whatever in the foyer and something uh, fun for the kids for 9.30. And then 10 o'clock our service starts next Sunday Easter. Yeah, so we won't be having the usual service on the hill this year. We'll be joining the uh, big community one down at Heritage Park instead. Um, our next big announcement, as, we, as you heard last week, is we are, as a church, going back to Camp Squia again for a retreat. Uh, the dates are May 13th to 17th. Um, so it's just a great time to gather as a church, to relax. I think that's going to be number one on everybody's schedule, maybe a hike or something. Um, but just time to be together. We found that, you know, all of us are maybe a little bit rusty in the socializing department after the last two years. So, you know, it's just a good time to be outdoors and um, get to know each other again. It'll be really great. If you can only make part of that weekend, that's totally fine as well. You're not obligated to come for the whole thing. Um, but yeah, again, the uh, registration is online. If you'd like to register here on campus, talk to someone with a lanyard. Again, they'd be glad to do that for you. So you have um, the next two weeks to decide. We really hope to see you all there. Giving. We are so thankful for your ongoing support for the work and ministries here at Cedar Valley through your time, prayers, service, and financially. Generosity is a core value for us as a church, and we believe financial support of God's work is an act of worship. It all goes to help all this make happen, and so much more in our weekly ministries and programs. So if you've come prepared to give this morning, you can do so online at cedarvalley.ca slash give. <laughs> Or if you're here on campus, there's tables set up at the back where you can um, drop off and we have a debit machine in the library. So we're going to get the service started here in just a moment. Um, we'll, be start with a, we'll start with a time of worship, singing with some music, and we'll have lyrics on the screen for you to see and online as well. You'll be able to see them. And we invite you to join in however you feel comfortable. And after that, we'll have a video lesson just for the kids. Uh, if you're joining us online, make sure you check out our YouTube page for a full feature kids video along with a parent guide to um, ask them questions. And if you're joining us here, kids, you'll be um, 
told when to go downstairs, and parents, please sign them in at the back. And after that, Pastor Grant will be bringing us the message this morning with, based on some verses from John chapter 12 about Palm Sunday today. Join with me in prayer this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be able to worship together and just thank you for all that have joined us and committed this time to a bodily worship together. Lord, bless the service. Each, each person that sing, sings, our, our voices as we sing, Lord, we uh, want to honor you. Amen. Thanks, Gail and Michelle. Uh, my name's Justin. This is Allison. Um, she's mine and I'm hers. Uh, this is Carol and Alex. So, and a couple more in the back. It's just, uh, we, we usually get here around 8 o'clock, and Grant's usually before us. And uh, we just spend time preparing this, uh, this morning service. Um, there's, there's a great deal of effort, but, but one thing we love to do is, is, is prepare as worship. Like it shouldn't be uh, a task or a, or a burden. We often spend our mornings praying together, singing together, learning the music. And, and so we want to bring uh, a joyful noise to, uh, to our Heavenly Father. Uh, this, this is worship for us, and we, uh, we know that this one, we want to translate this into our, into our week, into our afternoon, whatever we're doing. So please join us in singing. And if you don't know the songs, look at the words and, and just understand that the words that we say describe a beautiful Heavenly Father that loves and cherishes us as his precious creation, each one of you. And uh, so please join us as we sing. And he's fighting for us too. So please join us as we sing. Stand if you'd like and sing please. For 
Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. All I see are the ashes. You see the beauty. When all I see is the cross, God.
mistakes, and we are off on our, on our track. So, thanks for forgiving us. I know that God is still honored with it. We're going to start over, and so that the song isn't sounding a little bit muddled. All right? Thanks, Allison. <laughs> You give life, you are love. 
your Holy Spirit to fill our lungs, fill them so that we can sing to you, speak your name, just be crazy about you. We don't want people to have any reason to deny that we love you. And we want to act and be wholeheartedly yours. Thank you for taking us and having us as yours, as your creation. Thank you, Jesus.
Jesus, as you walked into the city so many years ago, people lined the streets to greet you in anticipation of what you were going to do, even though they had no idea the sacrifice you would give. Thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you for being humble, kind, gentle, and loving like no one else. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for singing with us this morning. Thanks, worship team, too. And there, yeah, there is a lot that goes on. So thanks for worshiping through it. You know what, like, funny glitches like that are not a, sometimes like can seem like a small disruption, but it's actually just us giving ourselves to God and worship. That's what this whole time is. And it is amazing what they pour into it. Uh, in the booth back there, too, actually, this morning's really fun because we have five people crammed into that little wooden booth back there, and three of them are under the age of 10, I think. <laughs> They're running the online broadcast and the cameras and everything. It's, it's great. So, yeah, love pouring into different ways to actually. And, and after this whole pandemic season, it kind of gave uh, a lot of people who have a bit of like a techie edge, an ability to be like, oh, we can use cameras and online streaming and video stuff. Like, what a cool way to also serve God in such a plethora of ways, right? Another way we get to do it, too, is uh, by leading and training. Uh, teaching and just playing with and having fun with kids and we have a kids service designed just for you worship and games and bible stories stuff like that and so kids if you're here hanging out and you want to head downstairs you can head to the back corner there uh we're gonna we got a whole service designed just for you downstairs make sure you've got a name tag on it means you're signed in and then we'll get you back to the right parents afterwards and if you don't know what's going on about that just find somebody wearing a lanyard we'll make sure that you're uh, signed in and everything's secure and safe uh, so we know what's going on. And if you're joining us online, uh, we have a whole online curriculum kind of designed that you can engage in faith conversations with your kids at home. You can find that on our YouTube channel. But we're just going to play uh, for, if you're joining us online this morning, a kind of teaser video. It's just a bit of a snippet of the bigger story of what's going on downstairs. So we get to all enjoy that together now. So let's check that out. <laughs> The Bible, it's 66 books of history, stories, letters, and poetry that fit together to form God's one big story. The epic adventure of how he created us and loves us so much that he made a way to rescue us. As we travel through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we discover people who met God and found their lives changed forever. Now, for an amazing story, inspired by the book of John, Chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. When Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, news spread quickly. Many people believed in Jesus, and the religious leaders flew into a rage. If we let Jesus keep doing this, everyone will believe in him. He'll cause so much trouble, the Romans will come in and take over. Mm. So, it's decided. We will remove him. <laughs> Uh, please note the air quotes. For a time, Jesus went away to the village of Ephraim. As the Passover feast neared, the people of Jerusalem began to look for him. Isn't he coming to the feast? He'd be a fool. The Pharisees have given orders to arrest him. Jesus wasn't threatened by the religious leaders. He was following the plan that God had set in motion long before. And with his disciples, Jesus returned to the town of Bethany. From there, he made plans to enter Jerusalem. He told two of his friends. Go to the village ahead of you. 
As soon as you get there, you will find a donkey tied up. Her colt will be with her. Village check, donkey check, colt check. Untie them and bring them to me. Untie. Wait, what? We can't just go taking someone's donkeys. Anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. The Lord needs them. Check. And the owner will send the donkeys right away. We're on it. The disciples had entered the town, just as Jesus had instructed them. Well, there they are. And now we will just calmly untie them like we walk off every day with donkeys that don't belong to us. <laughs> no biggie. Hey! Those are my donkeys. Uh, um, I, the Lord needs them. Oh. Oh. Well, in that case, just remember the big one kicks real bad. And she likes figs. Jesus' friends brought the donkey to him and laid their coats across the coat's back. Jesus to sit on. He's walked a gazillion miles. Why does he want to ride a donkey now? Jesus wasn't too tired to walk. He was carrying out the plan that God had set in motion long before. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Zechariah had written. Say to the city of Zion, See, your king comes to you. He is gentle and riding on a donkey. Now Jesus was showing everyone that he was the king that God had promised. As he rode towards Jerusalem, excitement rippled through the crowds of travelers. They threw their coats down on the ground, making a path for him. Others broke large branches off of nearby palm trees, laying them across the road or waving them high. Hosanna! Some people ran ahead of Jesus as others streamed behind in a joyful, glorious parade. Hosanna! As the procession neared the city, people ran out to see what was happening. Who is this? This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Yeah, he brought Lazarus back from the dead. In all the excitement, though, one group of people was not pleased. The religious leaders. This isn't getting us anywhere. Look how the whole world is following him. Don't worry. I've got a plan. A plan? To remove Jesus. Oh, right. The air quote. <laughs> he won't last the week. But God was still at work, and nothing that anyone could do would stop God's plan to save the world. I'm going to read those same verses from John chapter 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey colt. Thank you, Gail. Um, all right, hey everyone. My name is Grant, pastor here at the church, and we are currently searching for a lead pastor as well. So keep that in your prayers. We have a search team, our leadership team, uh, as well has been uh, just meeting and praying and discerning over this on Wednesday evenings 
uh, every second Wednesday evening, and this Wednesday is one of those evenings where just gatherings at church, open invite to everyone to just spend an hour praying over the season as a church as we search for a lead pastor uh, to guide us. Uh, but for now, you get me. And uh, I'm happy. I'm happy to bring you a message this morning as well. I, I love just diving into the Word. It's an amazing opportunity to do this. And uh, Easter weekend coming up this weekend, this Sunday, is Palm Sunday. So it's a party Sunday, right? This is, uh, you saw the bubble machines outside. Maybe when you're coming in, played with it. Maybe we'll do some after too. I didn't have palm leaves, so that's, you know, the typical decoration for Palm Sunday. Um, Palm Sunday is, it's the party Sunday. It's the celebration Sunday before Easter because what's happening in the story, like we just heard in the kids' story and through the scripture, is there is this uh, king coming in. And what's amazing to me, as I was even reading through this, there's a celebration that's happening, but from people 2,000 years ago who had no idea what was coming next. Like, they didn't know the Easter thing that was coming up next. They were just celebrating Jesus. They were just celebrating the king and the prophecy that they had uh, believed was fulfilled and all the teachings and all the stuff that Jesus had done to, for them and through their lives and it revealed to them about God. And they were celebrating that. They didn't know uh, what was coming after this. So... I'm super excited to dive into this, why it is such an important thing, why they're celebrating, and maybe why we don't celebrate as much that way, right? Because here's the thing, like all, all around the world, even in the city, there's dozens of other churches meeting as, as well this morning, celebrating, worshiping. We just had this amazing time in worship and just talking about how great God is, but when you hear the story and the, Jesus is riding the donkey and people are throwing stuff into the streets and there's this party going on, it's a bit of a different vibe here, right? Like, you know, it's, it's a respectful and like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is a good guy. Yeah, God's great. But the celebration, the level, it, there's something a little bit different. And what I want to unpack all of this uh, this morning, but what I want to do first is actually spoil the ending a little bit because I want it in our minds as we're going through this. So here's the thing. I think that there is, and, and I can relate to it, it's extremely relatable. I think there's two reasons why we might not have an instant gut reaction of celebration with waving palm branches or just bubble machines or whatever it is and throwing clothing out into the street for Jesus, even though in our hearts or in our minds we might be excited about the idea, uh, but why we don't have that same kind of impulsive reaction. I think you might fit into one of two camps here, and it's actually in the Bible story here too. I love it. We see it with the religious leaders. We see it with the disciples, with the people all around. So the first one is that you just, you just don't get it. You, you haven't really heard about Jesus, this whole thing. You haven't heard, you, you don't know what's going on with the crowd. You're just kind of staying at home. Maybe you've only heard things that give you a bad taste or you've heard just bad stories about the people who say they follow Jesus and they do things that drive you nuts. So you just don't get why there'd be a celebration. And then the other camp, and maybe you can relate to this one too, I can often, is Jesus is just too normal. You've just known him for what seems like way too long, and now you're underwhelmed a little bit. Like, it's amazing stuff, but it's just regular. You've memorized all the stuff, and this is now your whatever, 35th or 80th Palm Sunday, right? It just kind of keeps going. And you've lost some of that excitement. So this morning, what we're going to do is check out what's going on and see how we can start to actually maybe move ourselves into the camp of the crowd that's out on the street celebrating. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to kind of be going through. I don't have slides this morning. Uh, if you've got a phone, Google it. There's Bible apps, amazing ways to go. We are going through the Gospel of John for this morning's story, even though you'll find this account in 
the, there's four different gospel books in the Bible that have different perspectives of the different things that happened in Jesus' life. Uh, they all have different aches, different um, things that they focused on about the stories. We're looking at John. So we're in John chapter 12, and starts at verse 12. So John 12, 12, nice and easy to remember. And starts off with, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So let's pick that apart a bit. The great crowd that was there for the festival. This was just before a festival, a celebration, a holiday called the Passover. And this is one of the most pivotal religious festivals that would happen everyone all around from in that time 2,000 years ago and, and well before that for thousands of years. People would celebrate and reflect and gather and worship and specifically they remember the story and the time of when God freed the Israelites from the Egyptians, from slavery in Egypt. And specifically, this is called the Passover because of a pretty intense story, a pretty big focus story. And, and if you don't know it or you just want the recap, I'm going to give the recap here. Essentially, what happened is called the Passover because after just uh, generations of slavery and uh, uh, fighting and retribution and oppression from the Egyptians on the Israelite people, there was this movement where a man named Moses came to lead his people away and Pharaoh was fighting back and had done all these uh, horrid things to the Israelites. And so in a moment of retribution uh, on the Egyptians, because what the Egyptians had done at one point is killed all the firstborn sons of the Israelites just to prevent a massive army from rising up, God did the same thing following through after times and times of allowing um, or of offering opportunities to let the Israelite people go, and Pharaoh refused. So God did the same thing and inflicted that same thing on the Egyptians. And it's a pretty dark, pretty horrible thing that happened. But what happened is the Spirit of God came, and for any of the Israelite people, the people of God who they sacrificed a lamb, they spread lamb's blood on the doors, and the Spirit of God passed over those homes. So dark, significant history, not unlike the majority of a lot of our holidays have some other dark implications as well. Thanksgiving, we celebrate year after year after year, which isn't just a really happy time, right? It's American Thanksgiving, especially too. It's not just innocent memories, but that was what was celebrated every year. And Jerusalem was the religious capital. It was the place to be. It was the place that you would come to. And it, like downtown Vancouver during Game 7 of the 2010 Olympics, it was like the energy was different there, right? You, can, you could watch anywhere else in the world. You could even hang out in Abbotsford. It was good energy, right? We, we won the Olympics. But if you were down in Vancouver, that energy was massive. That was like being in Jerusalem. So you got the tourist population. They're all up in Jerusalem at this point, And they hear that Jesus is coming, so they head out to the streets in troves. And what's amazing, I love, is there's no billboards. There's no town criers. Nobody organized a flash mob for this to happen. This all happened because of the word of mouth of everyday normal people just talking about Jesus, talking about the things they had heard about Jesus or talking about the things that Jesus had done for them, the way he had healed people. And even like it's just this person told this person told this person and it just spread everywhere. Just before this event, a man named Lazarus had died and he was dead for a few days and all his friends and family all around knew that he, Lazarus had died. Jesus raised him from the dead, which was a massive foreshadowing of Easter weekend, of what's coming up, and huge symbolism there. But the real implication is that people were just sharing stories about what happened. They were talking about Jesus. And the word gets around. See, 
I think sometimes they, they, we wait for the pastor to say something or the church to make a social media post that we can share. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be because of some sort of really cool corporate campaign. The word of God actually gets around by us just talking with each other and sharing the stories about how Jesus has been part of our life in everyday, normal, basic, plain conversations. And that's what draws a crowd out into the streets of Jerusalem. So that's the crowd. That's why they were there. That's where they're coming out. So what were they doing? So John 12, verse 13, next verse. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 11, verse 8, just another uh, thing of it too. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they had cut in the field. Everyone has a different way of partying, Right? celebrating there's different cultural norms different symbols and stuff but my go-to isn't throwing clothing on the street uh, or foliage actually if you do that you probably become that neighbor that everyone talks about but nobody wants to go confront so just don't present yourself as very approachable when you're throwing stuff out into the street and i've seen it too uh my the first townhouse that my wife and I rented in was a pretty, well, we could afford it after working or going to Bible college for a lot of years, so it wasn't the most pleasant place, but there was like regularly, somebody would have a fit, throw everything outside into the yard, and then the, the dump bins have to come by again, and like they just knew the regular contract. So we've seen that too, but here in this culture, this was, this was a way of celebrating. It was really cool. Specifically too, they would use palm branches because that was a symbol of victory. And not just like, all right, this is a good time, we won the soccer game. This was victory like how you would greet soldiers returning victorious from battles. This was victory like war was over and you won. You came on the, the um, successful side of a conflict. You had survived attacks. Like This was massive victory. And so what was the victory, though? See, because remember, they were celebrating the Passover... And yeah, they were enamored and inspired by Jesus' ministry. They, you know, he was the king, so they were celebrating that he was coming in. But they didn't know that this was the last sacrifice that they'd had to be making for Passover. They didn't know that in, in a week's time, there was going to be this whole massive thing with Jesus going to the cross, what actually seems like losing. They didn't know any of that stuff, but they were still just celebrating. And here's the key. What they were celebrating, what they understood was actually coming out of generations worth of and hundreds of years worth of their faithful study of the scriptures, their faithful understanding of God's interaction with God's people. That's why they were saying stuff like, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, Your king is coming. These are all direct quotes from scripture that they had memorized, prophecies that were being fulfilled. What this was, this moment of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, was God fulfilling his promise that he had made thousands of years ago. And they're celebrating in victory because all of these people realize that this isn't actually a battle that has to happen. This is a battle that's done. And that was what was such a conflicting piece for people to understand at the point, at the time, the religious leaders, they, they were still waiting for God to do something. And people started to see Jesus and said, I actually understand God differently now. Let, let me explain this a little bit more. So. What had happened for thousands of years, uh, Israelite people, they were very passionate followers of God. They had all these stories that they would pass down and along through generations of times that God delivered them from enemies, that that God delivered them from Egypt, that God was uh, present with them, that he would provide them with water when they needed it, food when they needed it, guide them throughout the desert. 
And with that too, they had a whole set of rules and ways that they would remember that God was important, that God was their provider, that God was everything for them. And over time though, those rules, those uh, practices, those religious um, systems that they had in place suddenly became their focal point of, you know, actually if we do enough stuff, then we will make things happen really well. We will become the providers of whatever we need. We'll do enough sacrifices and we'll do X, Y, and Z. And, and this is it's a thing that we constantly do. So for a while, we've actually been as a church studying the book of Galatians in the New Testament, where a man named Paul, Apostle Paul, was uh, after, a while after this, he was addressing Christians who were still doing something like this. They, they kept reverting back to this idea of forgetting that God was the main focus of the law, and they thought it was just more about them and doing enough stuff and you may have, like, if you've been following us, the study might have come across as just trying to be deconstructioning of, like, rules, and Paul's just trying to say the religious systems are no good, and it's just a whole hyper-progressive, no restrictions, no guidelines way of life, but that's not it at all. The whole notion in the letter of Galatians, the whole notion of what the people who are celebrating out in the streets got, the fact is that God's the main focus point because God has done everything already. God made a promise all the way back in the Garden of Eden when uh, he made a curse on the snake saying, like, it's over for you. There's going to be struggle constantly here on earth, but it's over for you. He made a promise to Abraham, and now the king is coming into Jerusalem, and it's about to finally be fulfilled. It's going to happen. Uh, just as a snippet to go, because I, my head's always constantly in Galatians. We've been in it for a few months now. It's like, oh, I'm studying. But Galatians 3.16, Paul even just goes as a reminder saying, okay, I get that you guys love all the rules and all the laws and stuff because you've memorized them to a T, but just remember that actually, that came 400, he actually says in Galatians 3.16, that came 430 years after the promise that God actually made that the law was talking about. So remember, like, God's promise is the most important thing, the focal point here. All of this to say, God has been in control this whole time, but we have this tendency to take matters into our own hands. We try to be our own saviors constantly, and it never works out. Think about the language that you hear daily, stuff where like, I deserve, or what I've worked hard for. I've studied harder, and I've, I've built a better whatever. I am a healthier person than them. I do these things. I have more manners. I am whatever. We always try to take stuff into our own control, and we try to make things about what we can do. And then suddenly when it falls apart, because we're not perfect, in fact, actually, most of us are kind of a mess a lot of the times, and we put on a really good show. When it falls apart, then we throw up our hands and blame God for being unjust or somebody else for dropping the ball because we think that we're the ones that need to do it all. And instead, all the crowds that were out celebrating in Jerusalem, they saw something different and unique. What was amazing, they saw the fact that, like, here's the king, here's the Lord, and the biggest thing is that he's, he's done it for us, and we don't have to because we can't, because we're all a mess, but the king is amazing. So they're celebrating. That's worth partying about. Okay, and they were sold out to it. They're throwing their cloaks into the streets. And this is literally taking your high-end possessions. You got an Arteryx jacket or a Carhartt, whatever. You're throwing it into the streets because the king is so amazing. He's the only thing worth value at this point. The people saw Jesus as like, don't step on the dirt. Here's the, like, we'll cover the streets. I remember being at a fundraiser one time for this nonprofit, working overseas with uh, orphanages for sick and abused children. 
And there's a silent auction and bidding going on all around. And there's testimonies and videos and stuff sharing about what this organization had been doing. And I got really inspired by it, really caught up in what was going on. So I, I thought, like, I, I want to support this. I started going around to the silent auction stuff. And, and then there's even like a live auction and they're calling out numbers. And there's some like really rich Dutch farmers that are throwing out huge numbers. And, and I got in it. So I started to put my hand up too. And my wife's like, don't. Don't win anything. We don't want this stuff. And I, I didn't even care. I didn't care about the stuff. Like, I just wanted to support what was going on. And we ended up with a few. Like, I have this antique copper lamp that I don't, it, it looks nice. It's collecting dust somewhere now and some wooden trinkets. But I, I didn't care about the stuff anymore. I just wanted to support the thing. Like, it's just money. And that's, what, that's the sense that the crowds had here. Like, what, nothing matters anymore. The king is here. That's a level of partying, right? That's the celebration that, had, that they were going on to. So again, let's dive even more. Why? Why were they at this point? What did Jesus bring that was so unique and different? Why were they, like we established the fulfillment of prophecy, that's why they thought he was king, but what made him so unique? There was kings in the past too. So John 12, verse 15, uh, kind of fulfilling a little bit more of scripture. And actually I just realized I, I missed one here. Uh, verse 14, two, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it uh, as is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. So some really cool things here in the Lego story. You did a better job than I will explain it. That's what the kids are focusing on downstairs too. Uh, Jesus is riding a donkey. This is a direct fulfillment of a prophecy from Zechariah 9, verse 9. And it was a huge act, though, because this was a symbolic uh, act of humility and peace. It, it wasn't super uncommon to ride a donkey, but it was uncommon for a king to ride a donkey. It was uncommon for an authority or the religious leaders at the time. You see, they were under Roman rule, and all of the officials and governors, they would ride on horses. They would ride in chariots to signify authority and battle and power. But then Jesus was riding a donkey, which is this humble, lowly, ugly-looking little thing. And it also had some nostalgic throwback because one of Israel's greatest kings that they would have remembered well in their story, King David and his sons also rode donkeys as a choice, their choice of transportation. Uh, it meant bringing peace. See, sometimes to a king, if a king knew that he could not win a battle, he would ride a donkey into another uh, uh, kingdom or another city or town saying like, hey, we're, I'm, I'm not here to fight. Like, just let's talk, let's chill. So Jesus chose this mode of transportation. Well, everyone's expecting this revolution, this underground thing to just come up and explode in the Roman Empire and the religious leaders to just be thrown aside. And they started celebrating him still because here's the thing. Jesus turned everything that was normal and known and thought and understood up on his head, right? When you expect somebody to come in with the F-350 Super Duty, he chose the Corolla. And it turned everyone's heads instead because we desperately need, they, 2,000 years ago, God's people needed an alternative to what was going on and what they had been going through back and forth for thousands of years. Today, we need an alternative to what the world says. Here's how you can succeed. Here's how you can do this. You need more power or whatever. And, and you know, it just always goes. It's, it's this divisive thing. You need to either be this camp or this camp. And Jesus says, no, no, actually, there's an alternative way. There's something better and turns on his head. So listen to this quote from a uh, uh, pastor and author, Tim Keller, kind of just a summary from an excerpt from one of his books. Jesus offers us 
a radical view on power, that you can exert greater force through sacrifice than through oppression. Jesus conquered death through sacrifice, not through battle. Jesus restored the world through healing and not through war. Jesus offers us hope, not based on our abilities or our talents or our skills, but on God's faithfulness to follow through every time. Every construct we try to come up with will depend on our ability to flawlessly carry it out. But the gospel of Jesus says that the work has already been done and all we have to do is accept it. Jesus offers us joy based on the goodness of God, not based on the goodness of you or me or someone else or people just being nice to us, but the fact that God is good and things can still be bad, but Jesus actually offers us categories. There is evil, there is good, and God is good, and we can overcome the evil because we can depend on God's goodness. There's nothing that can actually remove God's goodness. Jesus offers us forgiveness and real resolution to guilt and shame that our failures don't define us, that, um, lost a year, God's grace and love are always available to us, rather than us having to try to prove ourselves or try to do better, and we don't get punished for that anymore. Jesus took that on. And Jesus offers us salvation, that death is not the end. Just as Jesus showed through Lazarus, shortly before this story, this Palm Sunday moment that we're studying here, um, that he can raise him from the dead. And as we're going to celebrate an uh, Easter week and next week, and death is defeated, and life on this side of heaven is just one small speck in eternity. So Jesus offers these things different than what the world is saying. And the people who are celebrating on the streets got that. They experienced it. And they were, ov- they, they were so over the way the world used to be, they wanted something different. So they're partying. But here's the thing, there were some different responses, not just the people celebrating in the streets. I love this, it's why we're in John, because it picks up this one key thing here as it's following the reactions and the faith of the disciples, the people who were with Jesus, his whole ministry for three years. So John 12, verse 16. At first, his disciples didn't understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that all these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to and for him. So I love it. The disciples didn't get what was going on. They thought it was a bit of overkill, right? The disciples had been with Jesus. Like, this was the third Passover they were celebrating with Jesus. They're like, yeah, he's, he's a cool guy. And like, yeah, he's, so, he's the son of God. And like, man, it's amazing the stuff he knows. But this partying in the street and the waving of palm branches, they didn't get it. Because they're lacking understanding. Their, their response is a lack of understanding of the greater thing that's happening. I also think their response is because it normalized a little bit too much. They got too used to it. This is a, a super relatable response. I, I think a lot of you can relate to it. I can relate to it so regularly that you, you know Jesus. You can quote his words. You can share his stories. You've had impactful moments in your life because of your faith and relationship with him. Um, but that sense of celebration is, is gone, right? It almost seems underwhelming. I met a man on a ferry ride this one time, BC Ferry Ride. We are heading to Vancouver Island for a kayaking trip. And this guy, so I was with a few friends, outdoorsy gear and kind of smelly and everything. And there's this other guy who's kind of dressed similarly to us and we're hanging out and he had like Arteryx gear and stuff like that. Uh, it looked super whatever outdoorsy. So eventually the conversation, so like two hour ferry ride, we were sitting nearby and we were chatting with him 
And it, what came out pretty quick, he was a Canadian military rescue tech op. Now let me explain, this is a very specialized position, it takes years and years of special focus training, and, it, and it's, it's an amazing position that, you know, I remember hearing about and studying a tiny little bit, I thought like, wow, this, this would be an amazing thing to do, because, so essentially, when the local police and search and rescue teams, uh, which, who do amazing work all the time, incredible things locally, but when it exceeds their limits, based on whether it's uh, equipment or training or just the size of the thing, if it's a bit of a military conflict disaster or a massive natural disaster, these guys step in, right? And they're all decked out and they're just like, they have the military uh, backing to help them. So he's just sharing the story. He had just come from this operation out of Comox that involved helicopters and a huge storm and two overturned boats and scuba equipment and they say like in and out and they rescued the guys and he's and we're just like jaws dropped on the floor this is the closest like i'm gonna meet be to meeting a real power ranger right and this guy just doesn't even he's just like yeah we did this thing and then he starts talking about how his socks got wet so he has a blister <laughs> just like he was so underwhelmed by what he didn't care anymore and i'm thinking this is like insane this stuff happens in action movies tom cruise couldn't even do it and he's just like, yeah, yeah, but my socks are wet. So it, we get underwhelmed by things that we seem just so overexposed for and we forget the reason why we can do it. We get underwhelmed by Jesus because our view of him just becomes normal. We read things like raised Lazarus from the dead and we're like, yeah, yeah, sure, I, I remember that story. But we don't see the implication of it, like raising from the dead doesn't make sense. We don't see that happen these days. They didn't see that happen those days either. So they were excited by it. And actually we get, this, we get distracted by what I think is idolatry in our lives of other things. See, we're in a hyper-stimulating world that increases the volume on everything around us. Like if, you, I don't, if you've even seen a car commercial, it's not just buy a car, and I'm only thinking this because I know a number of uh, myself, me and my wife, and a bunch of our friends, like, we've been all car shopping. And it, you can't even just buy a thing for transportation. Now it's like a way of life, and it's an identity and a, a whole lifestyle, and this like, is way more than just a personal choice. It becomes such a massive moment, such a massive decision you make, and it forces you into a camp that I think becomes your identity in saying you gotta be this and you, you, can't, you can't just have, you know, I, I don't know anymore. Suddenly it just becomes, like, if you go to a specific restaurant, you make a social stance. If you go to, uh, if you eat this kind of food, you make a different sort of statement about it. Everything has this massive thing and I think that's the same kind of idolatry uh, that happened in the Old Testament. We look at with snobbery, like, who would worship a bronze calf, but instead we worship all the stuff we do all the time because we think it's so important. And then we forget that Jesus, who we should actually be focusing on, we think, yeah, Jesus, good, but also, you know, I've got the Porsche and I, I drive this car too and it's a diesel, which is better and for this thing and I do these kind of things and I vote this way and you make that who you are. So what's the antidote? I think we need some antidote for this. How, how can we get back some of that enthusiasm for Jesus? Get out into the streets and party. I think it takes some effort and intentionality and a challenge to actually go back to the gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and take a look at Jesus' life and start trying to live like Jesus, even in some small ways. See, not for the sake of being preachy about it, but if we say that Jesus was a good man, I think we can care to at least try living little bits of ways like he did. And he, 
here's a perfect example, I think is a necessary one too, is to prioritize people. Jesus prioritized people all the time, every time. When, no matter what else was happening, people in front of him were the most important thing, and I think we need that more now than ever. Globally, one of the things that people are saying during this pandemic, before the pandemic or anything now too, people feel lonely. And I think we can actually start to make an intentional priority in our lives of starting to focus and prioritize people in our lives and actually care about them and be present and empathetic and supportive and maybe forget some of the other stuff that we commit and fill all of our time with. That's the second part. So the first one is start trying to live like Jesus in even small ways. The second one is to give yourself space and time to do that rather than what the world says is to be as absolutely productive as you can be every minute of the day until you finally go to sleep and maybe only sleep six hours so you can do more stuff. Cut some stuff out so you actually have the time and space to focus on people. Maybe cut out that Netflix binge or even another book that you want to read or whatever it is, even a house project, and maybe you can put that aside so you actually have space and time to start trying to discipline and live like Jesus. And then the last thing is don't just keep that to yourself. Don't keep the stories and your experiences and what you feel and believe and understand about Jesus to yourself. Start talking about it like what would have happened to amass such a crowd as Jesus came to Jerusalem. It's like just a couple weeks ago, I went to this concert, super good concert, really fun, loud, just the theatrics were stimulating and exciting. I loved it. The subwoofers were just punching you in the chest. And, you know, I was in Vancouver, so then after like two and a half or bad traffic, three hours of driving home, it started to subside a bit and that energy had faded a bit until the next day when I got to talk with somebody else about it and the, the lights and the holograms and everything and all that energy came back up. Actually talk about Jesus with people in your life daily and don't let him just become normal for you. There's a second response as well. So the first one it, he's, Jesus has just become underwhelming to you, right? You, you know about him and you know him and you're passionate and you believe and trust him, but it's underwhelming. The second one, I think we could see a little bit in the Pharisees at the end of this section here too. So it jumps all the way here, John chapter 12, verse 19. The Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. They're seeing this thing that they just don't get and they hate it and it bothers them. This is the just don't get it response. I think it can come in a few different fashions. So like the Pharisees and the hyper-religious leaders, the cultural influencers of the day, the power brokers of the day, they just don't like Jesus because he disrupts their way of life. The things he taught, the way of life he promoted disrupts the thing that they have come to expect as fair and the way the world should be and these things should happen and people have these ways that they ought to be able to live and they deserve. It disrupts stuff. So they just did not like it. And this might even be because of the presentation you've had of Jesus. Maybe people who've uh, presented Jesus to you in a way where they've actually focused on the, the rules of the stuff and not on Jesus and his grace and love. If that's the presentation you've had of Jesus in your life, you probably have this sense of, you just don't get it. Why would you like this rule, ex like forcing and uh, what seems oppressive and just constantly deconstructing and, fo and shutting down everything like, why would you like that? Maybe it's just a foreign thing because nobody's actually really talked to you about Jesus. And maybe you're listening to this and like, I've said the word Jesus 80 times already. And you're like, hey, okay, I've heard the word or whatever. And it has to do with church, but like nobody's really told you about Jesus. 
Okay, and, and I get that, because here's the thing. A, a few years back, and something that we've done as a church uh, for a long time, well before I've been here, um, Easter weekend, we place a big cross up on Griner Hill. And this is, you know, we go to the city and get permission and the slips, and this is also in part from when Mr. Griner donated the land to the park, so, you know, it could be used for these purposes. So we put this big cross up on the hill. And a few years ago, uh, it blew up online. There's this big thread with hundreds of comments on it, and they were not a lot of great comments. Uh, it, it, it was offensive, and it bothered people, and there's this cross and a religious symbol. But weeding through all of that stuff, too, here's the thing. A lot of comments... People just didn't know what was going on. They didn't get it with an absolute thought of curiosity or just not even misunderstanding. They just didn't know, like, things. what is the cross even? I don't get it. What, what's the symbol? What does that have to do with church or Jesus? People didn't get it we, because we just expect that people are either on, you know, you're either for it or you're against it. This, this is the thing we do all the time. We think, okay, you're either, you get Jesus in life or you hate him and you're just against it. We do this with everything, right? Like you either you love masks or you hate them. You either are this political side or this political side. You're environmentalist or not environmentalist. And instead, I think the majority of us are not trying to be enemies with each other. I think a lot of people in our world, we just don't know. I think some of you just don't know. And it's super bad for us to just make the assumption that you're for or against us. And instead, we actually just need to talk about and educate. And my hope is that you can actually come away from here learning that Jesus is a man who's fulfilled God's promises to support us, that God has defeated death, that God has provided a way of life of communing with him and into eternity, well beyond just what's happening here in the world, that God is a good man and that Jesus loves you. So what I want is for us to actually then find the third response, the crowd that was cheering and celebrating. And maybe you're here for the first time, and maybe hopefully you're actually hearing that Jesus isn't just a cult leader that leads groups of people to vote one way or to disagree with these lifestyles and to just go to church on Sunday, but instead Jesus was a man, the Son of God, who loved people and prioritized people, and he loves you and prioritizes you. And he carried out God's promise to make a way past death, past evil, past judgment and guilt and shame, and bring in a new era that you can actually live in and live in that celebration. God followed through and continues to follow through on his promise because we cannot do it on our own. And that's the whole gospel story is it's not for us to try to do on our own. It's for us to accept what God has done. So that's what draws a crowd into the streets of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, waving palm branches and throwing valuables like clothing into the street to cover up the dirt. Hopefully that gives you a sense of what's going on in the story. And that is why we should take a real look at our enthusiasm today. Are we celebrating are we willing to be open to celebrating with a party? Do we have that kind of excitement? Do we see people in our lives and say with a smile, this is how awesome Jesus is. We sing these amazing songs with powerful lines of the greatness and goodness of God, of Jesus. Do we have that in our daily life? The good king is coming for you and for me and all he asks is to be received. So pray with me and we're gonna go from there. God, thank you for this story of celebration, God, that what seems like such a small thing of just a, a parade with palm branches and clothing in the street, God, is, is massive. God, I pray that you challenge myself, you challenge us all here to take a look at if we have made you normal or if we have made you 
an object of resentment because of the things that we've heard, God, that we, we just push back and resist. But God, for everyone who is here, and I'm so thankful that there are people here who are listening, that's the first step of just being maybe interested or maybe they've just been dragged in by their friends. I hope that people can hear the goodness of who you are, God, that this is a message of salvation. This is a message of grace and love and joy, God, and it's not, it's not filled with uh, prerequisites of stuff that we have to do because, God, you have done it. So we thank you for all these things. God, I just pray you go with us uh, this week as we look towards Easter this next week coming up that uh, we focus on the amazing and horrible sacrifice you made on the cross, crucified God, and you died and rose again from the grave, and you offer that to us as well. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, Just as a reminder for next week, Good Friday service, we have here at 10 o'clock a communion service just to get together to connect, to focus on the Last Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples on Sunday morning, doing the sunrise service at Heritage Park at 7 a.m., and then uh, Easter service here. Have a great week.